Welcome to Don't Talk to Me Unless It's About This. Marie and I are here to talk about the second half of The Mothers by Britt Bennett from chapter nine to the end. And when we last left off in part one, Nadia had just come home for the first time in four years for Luke and Aubrey's wedding. And the second half covers the next three to four years of their lives with some kind of speculating at the end uh, beyond that. And we're going to talk about everything that happens. There's so much that happens in the second half. But first, Marie, I wanted to share with you, I listened to this interview with Britt Bennett, and she started writing this book when she was 17. I gasped when I saw that in the notes. I, I cannot believe that at all. Did she talk about the inspiration at that age? I think the parts that she had to begin with for the book were that there was going to be a couple who gets an abortion. And gosh, I forget what the other. Oh, and that the girl's mother would have died. I think initially, actually, the girl's mother, Nadia's mother, had died when she was young. And then she said while she was workshopping it, someone gave her the suggestion of why doesn't the mother's death happen closer to the abortion? It was a really great interview. The podcast was called for colored nerds and they interviewed her actually before it came out this was way back in 2016 and they asked her you know why did you want to explore kind of motherlessness she has herself great relationship with her parents and she said you know i guess i'm just kind of always afraid of losing my parents and so it's a thing i think about but so she wrote yeah she started when she was 17 didn't publish it till she was close to 27. And first of all, I'm always just so impressed. Like, wow, sticking with a project, even if it's on and off for 10 years is amazing. And it was interesting because she said, you know, there are parts of this that I think I only could have wrote when I was 17. Like the, the fierce nature of friendships at that age is so different from the nature of friendships you have as an adult. And so she feels like that was a part she benefited from writing young. And then there were other parts that she benefited from writing when she was, you know, 26 of having a little more perspective on like forgiveness and love and some of these bigger topics. And I have, as we talk later, I want to share some other things that she said, because she was also really funny. And, and I really liked listening to her. I, w- I want to listen to that interview now. I, uh, I'm so intrigued by, yeah, that te- decade of writing one project. And thinking through the book and the evolution of the characters and the evolution of their ages, basically through that same time span, it follows. You're right. And the age she was when, what ages she was when she wrote the book. So I find that uh, really fascinating. And I, yeah, I want to listen to that interview. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, also initially the book was only going to span potentially just that summer or like just kind of a year. And then it was with time that she expanded out, out, out. And oh, and I think another initial part was, or at least early on became the voice of quote, the mothers and her experience with seeing, I, I think she, when I was listening early in the podcast, I like hadn't yet caught up on which voice was her and which was the female interviewer there was a male and a female interviewer so I, I i don't remember if brit or it was the host who was saying they didn't actually have the most like religious upbringing close to this but they saw it through like friends or family or community members and were just kind of always aware of these 
women who are behind the scenes running the churches. Um, they're not up at the, you know, up preaching, but they're really making things happening. And she said that from the beginning, she wanted the mothers to become, to be a a loving presence, but also, you know, one that you question and you're wondering to yourself, is this a reliable narrator? Because they're kind of judgmental and they're gossipy. And I appreciate that she, that we, we really felt that in there and she put it in there on purpose. <laughs> yeah. It, it contributes to this feeling, the complex characters throughout. It just makes it feel more like real life. And uh, and now that I kind of understand even more how it felt so authentic to those life stages, although writing writing these mothers that are sort of these wise old women, I think is kind of cool to think about a 17-year-old conceptualizing and writing that uh i'm sure it changed changed over the decade that she was writing it but i just feel like she captured so many emotions and so many complexities of of family and friendship and romantic relationships i just found myself resonating with so many of the different characters at so many times i yeah i i love so learning how the the history of how she wrote it i i just can nerd out about that about authors totally yeah this Fun. for me has totally be you know this is like a top 10 book for me and it's funny that when i read it four years ago i marked it as four stars in my goodreads and now i'm like total five stars top 10 so i'm excited like like we said at the beginning we're going to talk about all the events that we're going to pretty much go through chronologically but we did want to introduce some of the bigger themes that we talked about in the first half and that we're really seeing play out in the second half. And there seems to be kind of these four, I mean, there's more than four, but the four themes that we've seen the most are, one, the contrast between a, quote, small life and this idea of being just satisfied. And on the other side of that, quote, a big life and desire. The second is redemption and forgiveness. The third is healing, and the fourth is intergenerational power and dynamics and relationships. So when we started here with Chapter 9, Aubrey and Luke are getting married. Nadia's come home, and this is when Aubrey has just found out about Nadia and Luke that they I think all she finds out is that they slept together in college uh, yeah. or in, in high school. Then at the wedding... Nadia finds out that Luke's mother paid for the abortion. And that seems like this big earth opening moment for her. And that's where we where we start off. Yeah. And I think the whole first half of the book, when Nadia is dating Luke and then after things end and she's working for Mrs. Shepard at the church, she wants her approval so badly. And Aubrey has always had Mrs. Shepard's approval was her little favorite. And so that scene, I think when Nadia has been gone for years, she's gone to college. She feels really accomplished. She's traveled the world and she's come back and she's attending her best friend's wedding to her, her ex, Luke. And she's confronted again by this disapproving mother and then finds out, oh, 
this person knows more about me than I realize. I just thought it was such a gut punt of a moment um, for for Nadia. It's almost like I'm never going to get, I'm never going to get approval from this woman. And she even says, you know, she and Luke were outside drinking from a flask very pretty much innocently and tries to defend herself and say, I wasn't doing anything wrong. And like, that is a statement about so much beyond just that moment. And even still, she gets yelled at and feels uh, shame. And I think it also makes her think about is this abortion going to haunt me forever? It keeps coming up, you know, later when she's in the doctor's office with Aubrey. She's like, oh, my God, I can't believe it follows you like that. It's really it was really hard to read Mrs. Shepard saying, oh, you did this vile thing. And the way she puts it on Nadia as if Nadia did it and she had nothing to do with it herself. Like she still finds herself holier than thou, even though she paid for this and like therefore approved of it. Mrs. Shepard was not a character I liked. <laughs> Yeah, she was a hard one to feel connected to throughout. And I I think you're so right. I didn't think about it in that moment, but I I do think you're right. As in that moment, Nadia did feel like she had come really far from that place she was before with the abortion, with the way the relationship with Luke ended and how hurtful that was for her. Um And then all of a sudden she realizes, oh, no, I'm right back in it. I can't. That is the story about who I am here in this town, in this place, in this church. It's almost like I hadn't really thought about this way, but by the end of the book, to every character in the book, the people that she used to, you know, love and be loved by Aubrey, Luke, her dad, Luke's family, the church, the whole church. All she is, is the girl who got the abortion. Like you said, she's done all these things. She's gone and gotten an education, traveled the world. She's still just the girl who got the abortion. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, I was thinking to myself, you know, why is it that Luke and Nadia are different from just regular exes? Like I was trying to th- ask myself, does the abortion, should it ha- hold so much weight um, mm-hmm. that it makes them different from just a regular ex dynamic? And I think, frankly, to Nadia, it didn't like it didn't hold weight. She could have just seen him as a regular ex. But because of Luke's pining for that baby and him feeling wronged and slighted, that was what made them different from just regular exes. Obviously, this is a timely moment to be talking about abortion access and the impact that it has on lives. And there's all different reasons that people have abortions and they're all valid. And I was thinking about one of the themes that I noticed coming through is this thing. And they actually explicitly, she says it in a couple of sections. And this is further plot points down the line. But, uh, you know, Luke and Aubrey obviously get married. They struggle to get pregnant. They do get pregnant. And... There is a whole, a couple of characters say this pregnancy, this baby wouldn't have happened if the other baby Mm. had been born. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is true for so many people. It's that you make a choice that this isn't 
going to happen. And, you know, for Nadia, that was because she wanted to go to college. She wanted to travel the world. She wanted to live this, this life. And she does go on to live that. And then Luke is able to have this other moment with this other woman, this other child is conceived and that is the future, right? And it wouldn't have happened without that previous decision being made that's made. Yes, this ties so well to something that Britt Bennett said in this interview where she was pointing out how infrequently you see abortions in books. And she said, on the, you know, on the one hand, it's a hot topic. On the other hand, she said it's not a narratively generative topic. It's, you know, seen as the ending of something. But really, it's it doesn't have to be the ending. Like you're saying, it can be the opening of other doors. It can be this narratively generative event. The story could have turned to Nadia has a baby and that's her life. Or the story turned to Nadia goes to college and that's her life. And so it's interesting to see it instead of as an ending, as just the way any other choice is kind of an ending of something, but an opening of something else. Every choice is like that. There's a really brilliant piece that just came out I think a week ago maybe and I think it's Vogue it was written by this woman who's an activist so Sophia Bush and her new husband about the fact that he and a previous partner got a divorce when they were in their 20s and you mean an abortion oh yes what did I say he said divorce (laughs) (laughs) yeah an abortion yes there was an ending there was an abortion when they were in their 20s and that allowed him to live a different life, ultimately meet Sophia and they plan to start a family. And they're they're talking about how that story isn't told about how uh, abortion does give, is an opening uh, Mm. for different choices and a different life. And I really like that perspective. And I think sharing a, a a man's perspective on the opportunities that they had because of an abortion uh, yeah. is a different story than we've heard before. And I think they that Britt Bennett touches on that a little bit in in this story as well when when Luke starts trying to process the abortion for himself. And he even acknowledges there aren't a lot of resources for men around abortion. It's seen as something that women might need help with, but not men. Mm-hmm. And he is able to find a counselor through, I think he sees an ad specifically focused on, on men, right? And so he's able to work through some of those issues for himself. And I, I liked that part of the story too. I think men are just as much a part of the abortion story as, as women. So I I also I appreciate that she put that in there and acknowledged that there's something from for for him to process and that he sought help, um, you know, mental health support. And that's kind of also can be a taboo topic, especially for young men. So that was yeah, I like that she included that. Yeah. So anyway, we can link to that article in the show notes, too, because I think it's a really powerful one. And I think it connects to the themes in, in this story really closely. And it's really some very, very few things that I've seen that share that perspective. And I think it's really important right now. It's, it's, we're all interconnected. 
uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to life choices. And I think that's a huge theme in this in this book, right? Uh, beyond, yeah. you know, the abortion is one part of it. And then everything is woven. They're all woven together uh, mm-hmm. in such a beautiful way um, through this narrative. Very much so. So then we have Nadia comes home. She gets the phone call that her father's been in this terrible accident. And you get the sense that Nadia isn't super satisfied in life at that moment. It sounds like she's kind of going through the motions of law school, but in this meaningless relationship and not not having great deep connections with people. And when she comes home, she kind of first is rekindling her relationship with Aubrey. And then transitions to rekindling her relationship with Luke. Where do you want to start there with uh, with Nadia coming home? I think there is so much richness in that section of the book because it's where I think that it's really brought out about how much many of the characters in the book feel abandoned, had felt abandoned in the past, are trying to find safety, connection, to to make them feel uh, like they won't be abandoned again. And, and so there, that theme comes out in the way that Nadia comes home to care for her father, who I think shares about his family history and what happened, the tragic events that happened in his own family. And, and then his wife dies. And so he's, he feels really alone and abandoned. Mm-hmm. Nadia feels really alone and abandoned. I think Aubrey feels that way too. So there's a lot of these, these characters are, are, there's this sense of striving to, to feel safe. And I think Nadia feels a lot of pressure to fill the shoes of her, her mom. And I think at one point she says something, and maybe it's to Luke or someone that I have to be her, as in her mother, for Mm -hmm. both of us, for her and her dad. And just, you know, she's putting a lot of pressure on herself through that. Um, So I think it's just a moment of really seeing how deep the hurt, pain, abandonment is in this character that she then sort of is evolving through the rest of the story. And it's almost a time where she tries living a small life. She gives it all up and kind of becomes, I think, pretty happy with her small life, taking care of her dad. And I I think she really becomes happy once Luke's in the picture again. And she has those afternoons with him and she can see herself imagining their life. and. She, well, before we get to, okay, kind of the end of their affair, I felt like it wasn't clear to me exactly what started again. I don't think Nadia would have ever initiated it. I think she had too much respect for Aubrey to do that and love for her. And Luke comes over the first time and she's mad at him because she tells him for the first time, you know, I know that your mom paid for the abortion. And she's been holding on to that for three years, hasn't talked to him since. And when he leaves, you know, there's no like desire on her part. And then he comes back and he wants to take care of her. And I think I think Nadia falls into it because she has never been taken care of and is finally getting that moment to be taken care of. And so she lets lets it happen. And Luke, you know, the only indicator is like 
clearly him and Aubrey were kind of vaguely unhappy. And maybe it was just Nadia being back in his presence and line of vision that he was wanted to go back to this thing. And and he talks about at one point, you know, is it okay because she was first? Like, does she have dibs, basically? <laughs> but did you feel a any more clarity around why Luke rekindled things? I think he felt guilty about what he had done and never he was clearly not over it and on any level he he was still had not not processed the fact the abortion happened he realized he'd kind of left her hanging and she had called him out about that before and I think it was his way of even in that moment when they do end up reconnecting where he comes over and she's clearly struggling and he just takes control and he feeds her and he runs her a bath and he sits with her dad so she can sleep. That is what he should have done when she had the abortion. That is what she wanted. That is all she wanted from him was to show up and take care of her. And I think he also wanted to do that for her and then got too scared. And so now is a moment where he sees her and he's like, this is the time that I can show up. And it's the wrong time. I mean, it's the right time in some <laughs> ways, but it's also the wrong time. <laughs> that was five years ago. Uh, you can't change the past. But I think they're both. I think she allows it because she also wants that closure. Like they just never had that closure. And so both of them are just acting out like a past story. Um, mm -hmm. There's this amazing quote. I actually want to know what you what you think this means. It was after the affair started. And so it, and it's from Nadia's perspective, the voice. Um, and I, it's right at the start of chapter 11. She's talking about how he comes over every day on his lunch break and they sleep together. And so the quote is, in her bed, Luke wasn't married anymore. He didn't know Aubrey. She was 17 again and tiptoeing with Luke through her parents' house, except now they had to be extra quiet, hoping that his cane wouldn't drum too loudly against the floor. In her bed, she believed the impossible. She felt herself growing younger, her skin softer and tighter, her mind unfilling with the textbooks she'd read. Luke uncrippled, unswallowing aspirin by the palmfuls, unloving Aubrey. He kissed Nadia and she felt untouched, their baby unforming inside of her, their lives separating. And I was like, again, like to me, I don't know. What do you think that means? It's like when they sleep together, none of the bad stuff happened. Is that, is that what's happening there? It's a great quote. I don't know. I think part of it is maybe... She's imagining, okay, if we could have just been like this at 17, we could have saved ourselves all this pain. That's almost like she sees, oh, we really could have been good for each other. This really could have worked if only we could go back in time. But then it's very interesting that the line ends with, or the you know paragraph ends with their lives separating because it feels yeah. like their lives coming back together. Um, it's It's like they're separating all the bad parts, all the bad ways they're intertwined and mixed up and it also i guess begs the question would they have been better off not have 
having never known each other. Mm-hmm. Think again, what is the reason for the, that both of them lean into this affair, despite how much they clearly both care for Aubrey? That is like not in question. And they're acting something out there, right? Where they're trying to heal. They're trying to heal themselves through this. And, and I just thought it was so interesting that she kept saying all of this we're actually instead of coming together through this affair it makes me feel like none of the bad stuff happened and even our relationship didn't happen and the baby didn't happen you know i don't that that ties into a question i know you want to talk about is when they end the affair which i think is actually on this same yeah, it's right after no, it, that. It's, he says, I love you on this page, but I don't think this is the page where he says, you know, where she says, we're just fucking, I don't love you. But he does say, I love you um, on the same page. And your question had been, when Nadia, sa- Luke says, you know, I love you. Uh, I want to take you on a date. And she's like, we can go on a date. Like, <laughs> this is secret. Um, and he's like, but what if it wasn't? And she says, you know, this is, it's different you're with Aubrey and she loves you. So this is, it's different. You and Aubrey. And he says, you know, don't you love me? And she says, no, no, we're just fucking. And I don't think she meant it. I think she, I don't think she saw that. I think either she really loved him and could have seen herself with him if Aubrey just kind of didn't exist. Or at least at that moment, it wasn't just fucking to her. It was something emotional and deep, even if it was only temporary. But I don't think I think she said that because at that point, the guilt about Aubrey had stacked up for her. She had gone with Aubrey to that infertility appointment. And before she went to that appointment, she was able to kind of ignore her love for Aubrey and be in this affair deeply. And then after that, she just kept having the vision of Aubrey on the table in the doctor's room and felt like I can't let Aubrey get hurt the way I've been hurt. So I think she just stuffed down her desires and and put Aubrey first. And I think she knew that Luke, if she explained that and said that, she knew that Luke wouldn't make the choice she wanted. And so she thought, okay, I need to hurt him to get rid of him and make him go do the right thing. Okay. So there's, there's a line in the section right before she says it's just fucking to her where she he, he he's saying she, he wants to go on a date with her he wants it to be public he doesn't care if anyone sees he's being kind of reckless and she says you're married and he says what if i wasn't and then the line is for a moment she allowed herself to imagine it how simple he made it seem like a gate stood between him and freedom and all he needed to do was slip a finger under the latch Luke was good at this, always finding an escape. She remembered watching him on the football field, amazed by how his body seemed to know down to the second when to juke left or right, always aware of the direction danger appeared. He'd escaped her once before. She couldn't help him do the same to Aubrey. And this is one of the moments where I, we talked about themes of healing Mm evolution, redemption, all of these things. And I think she's finally seeing Luke 
and his pattern for what it is in that moment. And I, I, to me, that's why I think she really loves him. And I think she sees kind of through him in that moment of like, you're doing the same thing to her that you did to me. And I'm not letting you do that again. I almost feel like it's like justice. She's trying to have some sort of, she's changing the narrative. She's like, oh no, this isn't happening again. Because even if he comes back to me, he'll potentially abandon me again. Like what, where, what's that escape moment going to be for him with us again? There. Totally. I think she sees him as stagnant. And I know I said in the first half that I felt like Luke had evolved over the first half and Nadia hadn't. And it really flips in the second half where you see Luke as not evolving and being stuck. There was this is the quote I'm really excited to tell you about Britt Bennett saying from this podcast. She described Luke as a Fuck boy with a heart of gold. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And that's what's so incredible about this story because all of the characters are so complex that you, I was rooting for Luke and Nadia for the majority of the book. Even when the affair started again, I was like, oh, maybe things are going to actually end up how they should have been. Right. And we haven't even talked about this yet, but I feel like. It's not, it's kind of interspersed is that Aubrey is still having a, not an affair, but a relationship of some kind with this Marine that she had met in the first half. Mm -hmm. And um, so there was this part of me that was rooting for both of them to like end their relationship and be with these other people that were potentially better for them question mark I don't know what you think and that doesn't happen as we know but I think it's an interesting question mark hello everyone it's Caitlin I wanted to first say a sincere thank you for listening and also invite you to join our patreon community it's a place to continue these conversations off air to submit your own thoughts and ideas to be on the show for you to join a community that will help you prioritize fun and enjoyment in your own creative endeavors, whatever those may be, and for us to come together for in-person events. You can see what the community is all about for free by signing up for our newsletter, where we share little snippets of what's going on on Patreon, or go right ahead and join the community right now. All the links are in the show notes. Well, so Britt Bennett saying that kind of changed. I think I saw Luke a little more lovingly until mm -hmm. she said that. And so I do, I really like knowing a, an author's interpretation of their characters. And it made me look at Luke with a little more critical lens and be like, was I giving him a little too much benefit of the doubt? I can't help but wonder if Aubrey, well, I mean, I guess as we're saying this, I'm thinking maybe both of them would be better off without Luke, you know, Aubrey with Miller or just with someone else and Nadia just with someone else. I think Nadia did go through a transformational experience of letting herself start to be cared for a little bit more with Luke. And so I feel like it's setting her up for finding a bit of a healthier relationship. The next person she meets, I still think she hasn't fully let people in, but she's definitely opened up to healing and 
letting people in. And okay, I know this is going out of order, but I don't think it matters. <laughs> and I think it's it's all related. And so this question of who would what did they end did they all end up in the quote right place? And the book ends with Luke and Aubrey are together and they have this baby girl. Nadia, we don't know kind of really what she's doing, but we know she's off in the world somewhere, not living in Oceanside anymore. And have you read Untamed by Glennon Doyle? Okay, so I really... I have. (laughs) I figured, I figured. I really want to juxtapose these two ideas. And, And none of this is said as like a judgment on choices people make. It is just looking at stories and like how the stories play out. I mean, Glennon's is obviously, it's not a story, it's her real life, but she talked about how she was in an unhappy marriage and was sticking in it for the kids. And she was sticking it, sticking with it, sticking with it. And then she gets to a point where she is brushing her daughter's hair and she thinks, I'm modeling something I would never want my kids to try to emulate. I'm modeling unhealthy relationships for them. And I'm modeling, you know, squashing your own desires and dreams. And there is a way that our lives could look really beautiful without, you know, me and this kid's dad being together. And then she gets a divorce. And in this book, it's the opposite where Luke and Aubrey, in my opinion, only stayed together because of the baby. I don't think they would have made it without this baby. But both of them, Luke and Aubrey, kept thinking, you know, gosh, I want to, for Luke, he was saying, I want to know my daughter. And Aubrey was, she wanted her daughter to have this, what she considered perfect life that she didn't have growing up. And she wanted her daughter to live in a house where her dad is there and her dad picks her up and all these things. And and then there are other moments where the mothers wonder, what will this child's life be like if they know that their parents lie to each other? And if their parents can lie about loving, what else in this world is not real or good? It all, I think, hinges on, do Aubrey and Luke make an actual healthy recovery, which is kind of the big question. Like, if they don't and they still and they have this kind of relationship with like undertones of resentment and distrust, is that life better for the daughter? Is it better for the mom and dad? What do you think about all of these different ideas? Oh, man, that's a big one. I absolutely saw the connection to the Glennon Doyle book and story. And there is, I mean, there's even the, you kind of referenced it just now, but the section, what chapter is this? In chapter 12, where the mothers are projecting out the life of this baby girl, you know, the line is she feels the coldness spreading between her parents and second guesses everything. If her parents can pretend they are in love, what else could they be lying about to her? What else could the world keep from her hold away in its hand? And I also think this relates to the theme of intergenerational trauma and how everyone in this book is carrying something from the previous generation before that maybe they don't even know about. And the mothers say in the next paragraph, she may hear this story someday and wonder what it has to do with her. A girl hiding her scared and her prettiness, an unwanted baby, a dead mother. These are not her heartbreaks. And right Uh, there, it's the connectedness of this girl is not biologically attached to Nadia in any way, but just there's the intergenerational trauma of people who are biologically, you're getting their DNA, but then just the community impact of it all too. 
And there's a line further down about grief. You know, she says, but she hasn't yet learned the mathematics of grief. The weight of what has been lost is always heavier than what remains. Yeah, again, all of this connection to the intergenerational and community connectedness that we that we all have and um, and how this little girl won't won't know what she's feeling, but it's going to it, it will be there and it will impact the way that she lives her life. So I don't think it's great that Aubrey and Luke are, are together. Maybe they'll heal something. I don't know. We can project that out at the end. We can predict their future, I guess. But mm-hmm. I don't think Britt Bennett is setting us up to believe in them. And I think her saying that Luke is a fuckboy with a heart of gold. <laughs> is, and I think the mothers think that about him too. Yeah. Uh, what What is their, what do they talk about? The ain't shit man or something like that? I think so. I think that's what they called it. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to love, I, I also just had a soft spot in my heart for for Luke most of the book until Nadia starts setting some of these boundaries. And I just, she at one point says she would not be, she wasn't going to carry his guilt anymore. She wasn't going to be the burying place for a man again. And I was like, oh, yeah. That do you mean, happening. do you mean when he asked her to take the blame for the affair yeah, and she said two no? Times. Yeah. There's two times that he he did it. It was right when they're breaking up from the affair. There's mm-hmm. he says she says that. Um it is right I mean, after that scene we just talked about. She says he didn't love her. He felt guilty. He'd abandoned her once and now he was latching onto her, not out of affection, but out of shame. She refused to let him bury his guilt in her. And that's a moment where you're like, oh. There is some of that happening here. And then the second time, we haven't talked about this, but after Aubrey finds out about the affair, or even, I mean, I think it's just she knows. It's not that anyone really tells her. She just knows. That was a Uh, weird part for me where I was like, you know, it comes up in the context of after she had lunch with Miller, and then Luke gets all mad at her, and you're like, what the fuck, Luke? Like... Coming a little hot here. Classic. Righteous. And then she is like, well, I, how is it different from you and Nadia? And you're kind of wondering to yourself, was she just going to live with that? Was she never going to bring that up? Because she, if she's known all along, when did she first figure it out? And what was she going to do with that information if she hadn't been herself accused of something? Yeah, that I, that's a good question. I don't know when she figured it out, but I do think you intuitively kind of understand some sometimes when I think she just always knew there was something weird between Luke and Nadia, right? Mm-hmm. She just felt it. And I think when you're around people that much and you know them that well, it's just like, there's something here. There's something going on. And then when she's with Miller, it's it's that moment where she is able to articulate it, that it really, it's like it was in her subconscious and all of a sudden it just came out of her mouth. That makes sense. Uh, and it's almost like the moment that she figured out about the abortion is maybe when everything started clicking of, OK, this makes sense. All the 
all the other interactions and the fact that the distance they have, um, the fact that Nadia never comes to visit her or anything, you know, that maybe clicks. And I think one of the reasons Nadia is able to make her way through this affair for the part that she does without feeling too guilty is because she never sees Aubrey and Luke together. So they don't really exist as like this real couple in her mind. They're separate people. She only knows them separately. She doesn't go to their house or go dinner with both of them. And so they're kind of a figment of her imagination. I just, I was, as that question made me look at the part when she acknowledges to Russell the the affair and it does it does say she had never said it out loud before there's you know she had just said he thinks I don't know he's in love with someone else my husband and then she said she had never said it out loud before there was something freeing in admitting that you had been loved less she might have gone her whole life not knowing thinking that she was enjoying a feast when she had actually been picking at another's crumbs. Ow. I mean, that feels so intense to read and, and have her, yeah, she's like bringing what she already knows to, to her consciousness and saying it out loud. And after that point, it's like, obviously she can't stay in that relationship in the same way. But I think it would have. I think she would have if she hadn't Russell to confide in. She didn't feel deserving of, you know, getting first pick, not getting the crumbs. It was the parts of the book that covered the jealousy between Nadia and Aubrey were some of the hardest for me to read to see the way that jealousy just creates this huge divide between people. And it's sometimes it's jealousy that's based on a real thing. And other times it's like the speculative jealousy in that moment she feels like she's just getting uh, Nadia's crumbs and then later when Aubrey's pregnant she feels this glory of you know I have this thing Nadia will never have I have finally like triumphed over Nadia and it's this constant one upping each other and yet their love for each other is so deep and so it's so hard to see to me, the biggest heartbreak of the story was Aubrey and Nadia losing each other. Um, I think they could have really been so good for each other if they had been able to get past these moments of jealousy and this kind of allegiance Aubrey ends up having to loyal to Luke because of the baby. But that was that was the big heartbreak for me was the the fissure that opens between them. And the final, I mean. Nadia trying to apologize. I mean, just doesn't even expect forgiveness, but just wants Aubrey to acknowledge that she's apologized is really heartbreaking because I think, like you said, they they actually are the primary relationship in this in this story. It's these two women. And ultimately, they're kind of broken apart by these secrets and this kind of jerk (laughs) guy who treats them both badly. And I'm curious, do you think in that final scene between them where Nadia is getting ready to go back to her life elsewhere, do you think that 
there is a hint of some sort of reconciliation. I don't know that they will have the same relationship they had before. But I thought that Aubrey seemed open to a future relationship of some kind. So I read this second part twice. And the first time I read it, I thought, yeah, it's doomed. Like Aubrey doesn't want anything to do with her. So of course, Nadia is leaving. And then I noticed in the second time when Nadia says, I'm flying back tonight. And Aubrey says, for how long? Nadia says, I don't know. And then Aubrey says, so that's your plan. You do this to me and now you're just going to leave. And I realized, oh, that really was Aubrey's opening of if you stay, maybe we could reconcile. And well, you don't know if Aubrey really is going to forgive Luke, but she's going to forgive him enough to let him back into her life, which is pretty big. And at first I was kind of bitter of like, why does Luke get to be forgiven? And Nadia doesn't. But then it's almost, you know, that's one way to look at or look at it. Or the other way is Nadia doesn't keep herself in position to be truly forgiven and brought back in she leaves and so she doesn't open herself up to potentially reconciling with Aubrey yeah that line really stood out to me as well and I think it's just a call back to a lot of the abandonment feelings that they all had and connected around and so that line is oh so that's your plan you're gonna do this to me and then you're gonna leave you know, like everybody else has, like everybody else always leaves. You're not going to stay and figure this out with me. Uh, yeah, that that was the line I think that stood out the most and also just was so heartbreaking because you kind of see there is an opening there and maybe, you know, we can project our own future where they, they do reconcile and may remain in each other's lives in a, in a way that's supportive and positive. Who knows? But I, I, I do think that final scene between them is healing and there is some, it's almost like they got what they needed from each other because a, a little bit later in that scene, Aubrey is explaining how it feels to be pregnant and, you know, all of the things that come along with that. And she says, other times I think, what happens if I don't love this baby? And Nadia says, of course you will. How could you not? And then Aubrey says, I don't know. That's what happened to us, right? And then this paragraph, I just think is so meaty. Sometimes Nadia wished that were true. It'd be much simpler to accept that she had been unloved. It'd be much simpler to hate her mother for leaving her. But then she remembered her mother offering her seashells at the beach and sitting up with her all night when she was sick, pressing a hand against her hot forehead and then kissing her as if that kiss could detect fever better than a thermometer. Nothing about her mother had ever been simple, her life or her death, and her memory wouldn't be either. Maybe they did, Nadia said, at least the best they could. And then that's even scarier, Aubrey said. So uh, there's something about that specific moment and scene where I thought they're both kind of coming to a new understanding of motherhood and their relationship with their mothers and maybe even their relationships together, right? It's like, I did, I loved you the best I could and 
and I messed it up. And that doesn't mean that it wasn't love. Right. It doesn't mean I didn't love you. I loved this paragraph. I also underlined it. And I really loved the way Nadia was able to see that about her mother. I appreciated that the book never gave us an answer for why her mother Mm -hmm. died by suicide, for what her mother was really going through. She never went to her grandma's house, even when she found out where her grandma lived. And that without giving closure, it's more realistic to what life is actually like. You have to see the the ambiguity, like Nadia sees in this paragraph. And I'm actually looking the paragraph right underneath when Aubrey says, then that's even scarier, that they just, you know, did the best they could. It says, she hugged her stomach. Inside of her was a whole new person, which was as miraculous as it was terrifying. Who would you be when you weren't just you anymore? And I'm pretty sure it's talking about Aubrey, but when you read it, it's not actually clear. It's like, also kind of Nadia, that she's this whole new person inside of her. And, you know, who would you be when you weren't just you anymore? If you weren't just this girl who had an abortion, who would you be? And so I really like the kind of double double side of that paragraph right after that. I I think it's so meaningful for both of them. And it's the, I think it's one of the most healing moments in the in the whole book for these two people, even though their relationship has likely kind of changed forever, they still have this connection through the ways that they felt abandoned by their mothers. And now they both can help each other have a new perspective through, you know, Aubrey becoming a mother <laughs> and mm-hmm. and Nadia not becoming a mother. Well, the Thinking about this, the theme of forgiveness and redemption and, and healing, getting help, there's there's a lot of times in the books in the book where we see it hard for a character to accept help or healing, you know, particularly Nadia, Luke early on. But then with Aubrey, we see her challenge of giving that kind of forgiveness and redemption and healing. And on page 257, this is when Aubrey goes home because she wants to see Luke, but she she lies to her sister and says she's just picking up some stuff. But really, she wants this opportunity to run into Luke. And she says she knew Luke came home early on Thursdays, but she was too ashamed to admit she missed him. She was not supposed to be the type of woman who forgave so readily, but she didn't feel like a woman at all anymore. She carried a girl inside her, a girl both she and Luke and she had become three people in one, an odd trinity. This I was very struck by the truth of there is this shame around forgiving people. I think especially for women who are cheated on, it's seen as this weak thing to forgive the man. I mean, you're not standing up for yourself. You're not demanding like good, healthy love. And it's more complicated than that like we don't know all the things that might be happening and all the ways in which like she said she actually she missed him like yes she was so mad at him and hurt by him but she still missed him and i'm wondering what you took about took from this idea of you know you're not supposed to forgive someone so readily and yet it's funny because in the context of this book it's all about religion and you know they don't ever tell us exactly what religion it is but i feel like a lot of religious preachings are about how you need to forgive 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 well, that's pretty funny considering how the scandal over 
the revelation that the the pattern is like paid for someone's abortion uh, ruined the church. It's definitely uh, not a whole lot of forgiveness happening there. I like that you're drawing that out. I hadn't thought about it that way. And, and, but yeah, there is a lot of like, I almost even feel weird and we've talked about it already. Like, is their relationship doomed? And this is really just doing it for the child that they're getting back together. Maybe the reality is that they, they really do love each other. I think that Luke really loves, loves Aubrey. I think she really loves him. I think the relationship with Nadia was again, like him trying to heal and process what happened in the past and like relive it and be a better person, even though the timing was terrible. (laughs) Uh, And so maybe because that happened and, and if, and when Aubrey can forgive him for that, they will actually have a much better relationship because he's not sitting on all of this and stewing about it for the rest of his life. It's actually, it's over. And he gets to be a father and be with Aubrey and be this this better man that he wants to be. It's it's definitely possible that he he can end this what if thinking he's been kind of tormented by all these years. And it almost you wonder if to get that out of his system, did he need to have the affair with Nadia or did he just need that counseling about the abortion, like would that itself have gotten him to stop what ifing about his past with Nadia? I think, I think he kind of, I think if we're looking at Luke in not a flattering light, I would say he needed to be hurt by Nadia to, to hear her say, basically, I don't love you to get that out of his system, which is unfortunate that that's what it took. I think that the affair had to happen. I do. But I like this feature prediction we have where they're happier than they would have been without it. So I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm totally there. I think I'm still I'm still processing that. I'm still a little bit more. Uh, I don't have quite as much hope in this moment. But it would be nice. <laughs> I'm going to hope for the best there. I, I'm, I'm sticking with optimism. You're kind of on the uh, questioning. Yeah, for Aubrey and Luke. What about, let's see, what else haven't we talked about? Just the fact that Nadia starts, quote, mothering the mothers. I loved, when that came back, I was like, oh my God, yes, I remember this now. I'm like, my heart is full. Yeah, what did you think about that? Why, why is she doing it? What's happening there? Well, I think she's really doing it for a sad reason. And she... I mean, I don't know where the quote is, but she talked at some point about like she's trying to undo all her wrongs and like kind of do pay penance. And it feels like if she just gives to other people, she can somehow undo the wrong, mostly of of hurting Aubrey, I think is the wrong she wants to undo. And also because she's probably like depressed and bored and has nothing else to do, uh, because once this affair with Luke is over, what else is keeping her busy? Nothing. So. I think it's sad why she starts it. And it's, you don't actually really, I don't know if we really see Nadia benefiting from it. There weren't these moments of like, and then one of the mothers like really took her on as her own and gave her this, you know, good advice or something. But we do see Nadia evolve in some ways. And so potentially that was part of her healing and helping her. But it's almost like 
it benefited the mothers more than Nadia in that it it made the mothers look at her in a different way and it complicated the idea they had of her and it forced them to realize she's more than just this one thing or one person. Yeah, I well, and I think there's some line and I can't remember what page it on page it's on where Nadia talks about how everyone thinks that she everyone must see her at the church and think she's trying to like do penance of some kind. But in reality, she just wants to be in the place that her mother was last seen. Mm, I like yes, somehow okay. have a connection to her mother through this. I, I think it's the mothers do connect with her and see her more sympathetically. And yet it is after this point that they discover the abortion uh, and the the fact that the pastor had helped pay for it um, because of, you know, Nadia's dad finds out about it and gets angry and confronts the pastor in the church and people overhear it and it becomes this whole blown up story and Nadia was a minor at the time and so then it's in the paper and and the mothers are the ones that spread that rumor it's like, like they could have protected her but instead they don't and they let this story kind of gain traction like wildfire and almost make it impossible for her to ever live a small satisfying life in this community because everyone knows and that is who she is there forever right like I I don't know I I I just thought that was again the complexity of characters right it, Nadia is helping them they feel the sympathy for her and then they essentially destroy her her life there irreparably you're right I hadn't actually really processed that of I I think it's almost like the way I saw Luke too forgiving I think I see the mothers too forgiving because they're these sweet old ladies and how could you you know think that they're bad and they do have a lot of wisdom and love they share but they also allow her to be taken down and they a lot of them they said you know they wouldn't accept the interviews but then one of them in the end did and even if they hadn't accepted the interviews they could have spoken out and said to the community hey we shouldn't let this poor woman be dragged through the mud they could have really stepped up for her and they they didn't let's talk about the final paragraph of the book yes it has to be talked about because I just, what was your reaction when you read it? Because mine was full body chills. Oh, yeah. And I had to read it a couple times to get it, to for it to really sink in of exactly how she was wording it. And it's, I mean, it's beautiful. Okay, I'll I'll read it. Then she disappeared around. Okay, so they're talking like at the context. They were seeing, uh, they were seeing Nadia drive through the town and they were wondering, does she have a gift for Aubrey's daughter? Is that really her? Is she moving? What's what she got in the truck? And it says, then she disappeared around the corner and as quickly as we'd seen her, she was gone. We will never know why she returned, but we still think about her. 
We see the span of her life unspooling in colorful threads and we chase it, wrapping it around our hands as more tumbles out. She's her mother's age now. Double her age. Our age. You're our mother. We're climbing inside of you. What was your reaction? I just had this moment of thinking, is this book about something else than what I had thought before? You know, it just takes it to such an expansive place. Um, I sort of see it as we are all each other. And again, interconnected. We're following this person's life. It's also so similar to our lives. They're going to pass on and then sort of become each other again or become, I don't know. I don't think it's about reincarnation. (laughs) I don't think that's necessarily what it is, even though it could like read that way when you first read it. I don't think it's about reincarnation either. I think you're right. I think it's about, I think books are supposed supposed to hold a mirror to us and make you be more empathetic. And it's interesting because, you know, a lot of the writing advice you hear is show, don't tell. And in this moment, she has gone from showing to telling, but it works so well of reminding you at the end of the book, all the people you judged in this book, like you are them too. You have these things within you. And so we have, we've climbed inside you. You can't separate yourself from thinking you're more righteous than us. We are you. You are us. You're our mother. We're your mother. And it makes me think of Sally Rooney, who has talked about this idea of a like a socialist or communist novel. And what was that? What does that mean? What could that look like? And for her, she said in her evolution of writing novels, she's written from more and more perspectives to try to make things more community oriented and not just these singular kind of navel gazing stories about one character. And I feel like. Rip Bennett has accomplished that goal with this novel by having it be so intergenerational, multi-perspective, and with this grand finale line here. I think, as we've talked about, I mean, every there's no, I guess, maybe Aubrey is. I was going to say there's no 100% clear characters that you're rooting for in this book because all of them are flawed. Mm-hmm. And you're frustrated with them at times. And again, to go back to what you just said, I think this is saying, you know, we, it's, you are no better. You, we, we are the same, you know, these mothers have been sort of judging and gossiping and all, and giving advice and saying how to live a good life. And then, and then I think it's this moment of, I don't know that we could have done it any better. Like we are you, you, you are, she, Nadia is becoming them, right? Even though they hurt her by the, by their actions, like she's aging into, into them. And um, I don't know. I just thought it was a beautiful way to show interconnectedness of, of a community and how, I don't know, is there some line in the Bible that I've heard where it's like, the first one to throw a stone is if you're perfect, 
like you can throw you can throw a stone at somebody else for for the bad thing they've done nobody should be throwing the stone right because <laughs> if wow. you pick one up to throw it that person could pick one up and throw it back at you for something you know it was a really beautiful ending and do you do you read the acknowledgments in books Sometimes I didn't read this one, although now as we're sitting here, I started noticing it and I want to read it, especially knowing how long she was working on it. I want to see. Well, I'm going to read you. Yeah, I'm going to read you just the last line. I highly recommend it. I love reading the acknowledgments. You always find out something really interesting about the author and their life. And she ends it with. And to all the writers and artists and scholars who mothered me, who gave me language who gave me life. And I think that was this beautiful echo to the final line of the story. And it also, this quote, who gave me life, that was something that Mrs. Shepard said to defend herself. I'm pretty positive, if I'm remembering the quote correctly, about paying for the abortion. She said, I gave that girl life. And, you know, Mrs. Shepard was, in my mind, this kind of hated (laughs) character. And for her to use similar language again, just opens up looking at people a little more forgivingly and with a little more gray area, this idea of of giving life. I love that last line and how of her acknowledgments and how it ties into that, that last line. And I think I'm like finding it hard because the last lines feel so expansive to even put words to how it made me feel other than it gave me chills. And made me feel really connected to to the universe as they say but uh i like the idea of it as we're all mothering each other and giving each other life and the decisions you make and the way that you treat other people has that impact on them and i think the most clear relationship that that that's true for in the book is is aubrey and nadia but then like you said also mrs shepherd here it is. I found it. I yeah. found the book from Mrs. Shepard. Year, uh, page 273. Years later, after Upper Room's doors had finally shuttered, we paid Latrice Shepard a visit. She invited us inside, offered us tea and cookies, but never an apology. I did what any mother would have done, she said. That girl should be thanking me. I gave her life. But none of us were sure what type of life Nadia Turner was living. We hadn't seen her in years, and it goes on and on. So, wow. Yeah. And I, it makes me think about how people talk about pro-life versus pro-choice when it comes to abortion and what does pro-life mean, you know, and and the pro-life movement would identify it as they're saving the fetus, but pro-life, I think should also include the mother or the pregnant person, right? I agree. Mm -hmm. The pregnant person's life too. um, And actually the person who is already living. (laughs) Uh, And so I love that. I didn't make that connection. And I appreciate you bringing that out. Did you have any other quotes that you loved that we haven't talked about yet? I'm sure I do, but not too many to discuss. But I know you have a favorite quote. So let's hear it. Yeah, well, this just, and maybe it's just me because I've had this moment happen to me in life, but I read this and it's kind of a subtle moment. And and it's one of the reasons why, I mean, any author that I love has so many of these moments throughout their book where maybe it's not the standout because of 
how it impacts the plot or anything like that. It's just, it really resonates with you as a person of like, I felt this way before, but I've never been able to put it in words like that. And she did that for me. And it's in what chapter? Chapter 12. And it's after Nadia has started mothering the mothers. And so she's invited to do all these activities at the church. And one of them that they've requested her to do is hand out candy to trick-or-treating children on Halloween. In the doorway, Nadia perched on a chair with a bucket of candy between her legs. These were the moments when adulthood was formed. Not a birthday, but the realization that she was now the one pouring a handful of candy into children's bags that she was now the one expected to give, not receive. And it just spoke to me. I, I think I had this moment a few years ago where it was like, I always thought adulthood was also, yeah, some milestone. Like you have a child or you buy a house or what, whatever it is, you get married. And I had done none of those things. And I all of a sudden had, I have, but I have like, many many nieces and nephews now and I had this moment where I was like whoa my parents are the grandparents I am like the parent generation and my nieces are the kids yeah that was the moment when I really felt like an adult and I just didn't see it coming you know do you remember what was happening in that moment I think it was it, it was it was a moment of my grandfather had died and and it was a moment of processing that that generation was moving on and like the generational transition was happening. Again, it's not it's not a a moment of or a milestone. I mean, I think it could be for some folks, but it's a moment of me becoming a mother, even though I'm not. I haven't had my own child. Me becoming a parent. Me mothering other people. Me being that that person. And I think, again, back to the book, you know, that's sort of what Britt Bennett is showing that we're all kind of parenting each other, even if we don't realize it. So definitely. Yeah, I, I just love that. I thought it was pretty subtle. And and I, I think it, it it does align with the themes, but it also just personally resonated for me. And I, I love it when an author can just describe something so well that that I've felt before that just feels so I wish I had thought of to be able to say it that way yes it's so powerful to feel yourself see yourself reflected in a book I'm so glad you you brought that one up I think that's probably a good place to wrap up okay well thanks for doing this with me I I just I finished that book and I wanted to just started over again and so I did and you read it along with me (laughs) oh my gosh I'm so so glad we read this book amazing amazing hi don't talk to me podcast this is Kristen of tribe called lit from New York City of our three main characters I think the future for Nadia is the most promising we see that although she's returned home and we don't know much about her life We know for a fact that she has lived a very long life in such a short time. And coming back home is her way of kind of forging her identity on her own outside of what the town already knows about her. And we know that she doesn't really care what people have to say anymore. 
because she's made peace with who she is as a person after all of the transgressions between Aubrey and Luke. I think that Aubrey is second up for another promise in life because of the fact that she has this new baby girl. She will pass on a lot of love and a lot of life lessons to her baby girl because of all that she's been through. As for Luke, I feel as though he's going to have the most trouble moving on to make a life of his own because he's been following the script that has been laid out for him, whether it's been the script of Football Star, the script of the son of the preacher's kid, and he doesn't know how to be his own person. So maybe baby girl will allow him to see himself in a new way and make the changes that are necessary for his identity to be shaped in a very different way. I loved reading Britt Bennett's The Mothers. What I loved most about this book was the complicated relationships portrayed. I personally can understand the desire to separate yourself from your home community and reinvent yourself, and I loved the secrets kept between each of the main characters. Reading The Mothers, where a character has an abortion, this summer in the post-Row world was incredibly powerful. It was really interesting to interact with the characters as they dealt with the ramifications of the abortion and whether they regretted it or not. This is a podcast, but it's also like more than a podcast. Don't Talk to Me Unless It's About This is a place for people in love and obsessed with storytelling to share in our admiration of books, music, comedy, and other forms of story, and to fuel our own creativity. So we have a Patreon community that you can try out for free. It's a place to continue these conversations off air, to submit your own thoughts and topic ideas to be shared on the show, join a community to help you prioritize fun and enjoyment in your own creative endeavors, whether those are hobbies or professionally, and for us to come together for in-person events. You can see what the community is all about for free by signing up for our newsletter, where we'll share little teasers of what's going on in Patreon, or you can go right ahead and join the Patreon right now. All the links are in the show notes. We'd love to hear what you think about the show, so please tell us by leaving a review, emailing us, or sending a message on Instagram. 